Hey, everybody. Welcome to It's Real with Jordan and Demi. Our guest today is Peach Pit. They are playing the M3F Festival in Phoenix on March 3rd and 4th. You're going to hear lead singer Neil Smith first and then guitarist Chris Vanderkoy after that. Demi joined me for this episode. She just couldn't do the intro this morning. So here it is, our interview with Peach Pit. Chris is in his dungeon recording studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no light back here. His dungeon. Did Chris, you like did make you? it? What's that? Did you like make the studio yourself? I mean, yeah, it was funny. When I moved into this house, they showed me this room that had carpet all over the walls and ceiling and floor. And I was kind of like, this seems like a murder room because it was so well soundproof, but it doubled as a studio really well. So yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's weird. Well, it's funny how murder rooms and studios have kind of have the same acoustic requirements. Yeah, they do actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good, good thing to remember. Acoustic requirements. <laughs> so guys, um, I want to start off uh, with the um, M3F Fest that's coming up here next month. You guys are playing. Um I have kind of a general festival question. How do you prepare for a festival versus preparing for a tour or even just a regular tour club gig kind of thing? What's the difference? <laughs> I think the true answer is that uh, for a festival, we prepare a lot less than a regular tour. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Just, I'm kind of joking, but just because of like, you know, um, for when we're going to play one show, we've got like our, our buddy Dougal, he plays in our band, he lives not in Vancouver, so he has to fly into town and just like a lot of the time it doesn't make sense for us to like um, be able to like play together for a long time before a festival gig. So um, yeah, we'll usually like get together, maybe rehearse like for two days and yeah, and then, and then it's kind of like, I don't know, the first show of a tour is always kind of sketchy. So that means that every um, festival show we ever played is also also kind of sketchy. Yeah, <laughs> so. it feels that way. It's like uh, the tour is going to be so long. So you're really like methodically going over how the set list feels and everything. But the festival is just one time. So it's hard to like go in with the same amount of intention. But it's a different vibe and, and it's fun in its own way because like you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants a little bit more. Definitely. I would wonder, like, sorry, just def wanted to add one more thing that it's definitely like super fun playing festivals because, um, yeah, it's like the first show you haven't played in a little while, so naturally, because of that, you're kind of nervous before the gigs. So, like, the adrenaline you get when you're playing on stage is like super exciting. Whereas when we're on tour, it's like we're doing the same thing every single night, so by like the fifth, sixth show, it's like, uh, you know, you're just kind of like on autopilot sometimes. I was yeah. wondering about like the sound. So like when you're in an outdoor space, um, I've seen bands play in like these medium-sized venues. Turnstiles, an example, and like I can only imagine that it's just more difficult to play in certain venues. So what is it like to play in like an outdoor space as opposed to like a nice medium-sized venue where they're equipped for kind of like bands? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different. I think that uh, when you're outside, the sound is just like traveling. There's no sense of like room or, oh, am I still there? We're still here. It's so okay, it's like we're like it's like CNN. There you go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Um, 
yeah what was i saying you've got some reverb in the room when you're playing uh when you're playing at an average venue and then you never really know what you're gonna get when you go to a festival like everybody has different equipment and everything so uh yeah the way it changes is just like i think festivals kind of all sound the same or outdoor stages all sound the same and then it changes a lot once you get into uh into rooms but uh not not a huge difference for us we're on in-ear monitors so we've got it like the sound mm -hmm. kind of dialed into our ears all the same uh but yeah it changes for the audience quite a bit i think also i wanted to add that like um because it's a festival like there might be people just camped out at a stage waiting for the act that's playing right after you so sometimes <laughs> festival shows can be a bit scary because like a lot of the crowd isn't there to see you so you have to like oh quickly at the start of the set otherwise maybe they'll just be like checking their watches the whole time waiting for buddy yeah. guy to rest well yeah I, I was wa i was watching your your uh your cbc festival performance on youtube last night and neil i really appreciated your stage dive um <laughs> <laughs> what 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 do you do you, when you when you survey a crowd are you like that's a stage dive crowd or do you kind of like where does the where does that come from? Where you like the the plan for a stage dive? Definitely, you'll see a crowd and be like, okay, I can stage dive here, no problem. Usually, it has to do like I'm scoping out when before I I'm gonna do it. Maybe the first couple of songs in the show, I'm like, okay, where are all the tallest, biggest, strongest looking dudes? <laughs> to aim at them. Um, we have a lot of like you know maybe teenagers at our shows, lots of teenage girls and stuff, and so I'm always like scared that I'm just gonna like decapitate. Aim for the teenage girls, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, where's like you know the football bros who came uh, to watch bolos, <laughs> and I'm gonna go. You know, when we were doing smaller uh, venues, we uh, I, I would stage dive sometimes when I got the chance and there was enough like space with the crowd. But there's this one time we were playing in Toronto. And I like kind of got up on this like ledge at the edge of the stage and I kind of looked back like get ready to catch me and all these kids are staring up but not putting <laughs> their hands up. So I was just standing up there kind of waiting for them to do something and it was a really awkward moment and I remember hearing Neil's guitar cut out and I was like oh what's going on this is all so confusing but then I just felt this hand on my chest and it pushed me back into the crowd and I like flew five feet and landed on all these teenage girls. They did catch me but <laughs> yeah, it uh, it, it's definitely risky. It doesn't always go well. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, I I gotta ask one thing. Demi and I were talking about is for whatever reason you became sort of the mascot of the band. Like your face is the profile picture on YouTube, and it's been on cover art and all this stuff. How did how did that happen? How did and Neil, if you wanna, are you like don't like being the center of attention? Like, how did Chris end up becoming like the mascot? No, 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 it's not like that. I'm a, I'm definitely a attention whore. I like to be in the spotlight a lot. But Chris is just really um, uh, good looking. So we were like, he should be the picture. I don't know. I don't. Good looking is a really uh, nice way to put that. But but the way it started was uh, we did a photo shoot. We had all these snacks and a bunch of donuts. I took a bite of a donut. And I had like this cream glaze in the corner of my mouth. And then our uh, photographer, Lester, took a photo and it my I kind of had a dumb look on my face with this like a little bit of glaze. And at the time, Spotify would just like have this tiny little circle as a profile picture. And we were like, well, you can't even see a whole band in that photo. Let's just make it your face. And then the joke just kind of kept going and going. And we kept updating it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a forever thing or if it's something that uh, it's that for everything don't ever get that mixed up in your head chris <laughs> jordan and i were actually talking about facial hair and men because i had a few questions and like 
I kind of want to know for maybe girls like that are just curious, how does a man decide what he's going to do with his facial hair? Because you're clean shaved. He has a mustache. Jordan has like, a, you guys are all different. So right. just like reflect your personality. How do you make this decision? As a Mine's to do with genetics because I can't really grow any facial hair. So I have to shave. Otherwise, I just look kind of greasy. And right now I've got a patch <laughs> here, a little soul patch coming in. The cheeks are bare. So I don't really have a choice. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's all genetic. I don't know. I kind of feel like sometimes it shows kids are like, well, how do you grow a mustache like that? And it's just like, I don't know. You just let it grow. You actually don't. You do less to let it grow than to not let it grow. So because it comes out this way. Who was your mustache inspo the first time you decided to go mustache? Because I didn't know you back then. I don't think I had mustache inspo, but I will say recently I watched the new Top Gun Maverick. I know everyone's talking about uh, that mustache, but uh, it Miles Teller mustache. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That that mustache, I think, is going to inspire a new generation of mustaches. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Neil. I uh, didn't think I could grow a beard forever, and one day I just decided, let me see how far I can get, and I can, and Demi can attest, I can get like this going. So oh, yeah, you nice. never know until you actually try. That's but, that's. Oh, my... but it is though. Like I, I turned thirty last week, and I just feel like it's not in the cards at this point. Like I hit second puberty. <laughs> that's about this time that I started mine. Uh, I was right around thirty. I was okay. like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's hope. There's hope. I'm, I'm providing inspiration for okay. all people who have inadequate facial hair. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. Demi, Demi can kind of leave this 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 part of it because she's the guitar player. But the Peach Pit sound, Peach Pit is so well known for the guitar, the dreamy sort of laid back guitars, mixing acoustic and electric. Um, talk about, I hate, first of all, let me back that up. I hate when people are doing interviews say, talk about blah, blah, blah. But seriously, where did the guitar tone come from? And why did you guys say, you know what? We're not going to become a metal band. We're going to become something a little sunnier than that. Yeah, uh, I think where did the guitar tones come from? I feel like one part of this band that we've somehow been able to channel as like a benefit to our sound is kind of our ignorance on tones and things like that. Like when we got into this, I had this like pod line six X3 live multi effects unit that no guitar player would be like serious about the effects inside of. And uh, that was the the guitar sound all over being so normal. And Neil, when he plays, he's just running with a, a chorus pedal and maybe like a little bit of a boost. Uh, so simplicity was always kind of like the approach or just coming at it with what we had. But I think we were able to like fool people that it was very intentional and like this is what we were trying to sound like. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the sound is really a result of just the way that we all play. It wasn't like a conversation of, hey, let's try to be like this or try to be like that. It was kind of like, hey, Neil would come to us with the song, give it to us, and we would just write the first thing that we thought to write over it. And most of the time that was just what it needed. And, and that's yeah how it came out. Yeah, we just honestly, I feel like we kind of got lucky. We found each other. And the music we make, we didn't put a ton of thought into which direction it was supposed to go at the start, other than maybe like I needed to have a chorus effect pedal because Mac DeMarco was the king, you know, for us at the time. And I was like, I want to have a chorus effect on guitar. Speaking of Mac DeMarco, where's Mac DeMarco? He's releasing stuff. He's, he's out there. He's yeah, out he there. put out like some instrumental music or something. I don't know. I feel like he's, he's just doing yeah. his thing. Have you guys ever seen him around? I feel like the indie world is always really connected. 
Um, we've seen him around one time. It's kind of a funny story. Chris can tell it if you want to hear it, but we We do want to hear it. It's your Mac Marco story, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of a go-to story. So I don't know. Uh, people might have heard it before. I'll give you the shorter version, but basically we were playing a <laughs> festival called Tropicalia in uh, California, and he was playing as well. And we watched his set uh, after we had played our set because he was headlining. Walked back to the van. We had to go play another show that night. And as we were pulling out, we saw him in like the parking lot. And uh, I was driving and the guys were like, oh, holy shit, that's Mac DeMarco. Like, Chris, <laughs> you should say something. And I didn't know what to say. So I rolled down the window and I said, hey, Mac, great show. Like, really love your music. Something super generic. He kind of turned uh, like a little like suddenly and looked at me and beelined it for the van and uh, came up and and uh, grabbed my face through the window and said, I'm not your witness, I'm your butterfly. And then he kissed me really passionately and then just like pushed away and walked off into the distance. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I have yet to see him again. So I could be like, oh yeah, like we've actually met before, we've kissed because I guarantee you he has no recollection of that moment. Also like, like the, the car ride to the next, yeah, Chris was just driving, not speaking the whole time, just like touching his lip like oh my god what happened you know like yeah it's like um growing up in canada and stuff and playing playing in a band and like you know playing in a band that focuses on guitars obviously you know mac was has was our hero when we started out so uh, yeah it was definitely like we took it as like a good uh, good luck charm or something. <laughs> yeah wow yeah um yeah the only time i've seen mac demarco um like live like playing was in Barcelona and he actually kissed one of the people watching it was like I don't even know it was out of nowhere I don't no. know if this is his thing I want to know how many people have that story you know I feel like yeah it's be, it well how many bands how many bands had that story just like you I know. don't think many bands though yeah. Yeah, nobody, nobody. that's probably the only one no, yeah, no one that we know, but I feel like it's like, you know, like when the princess kisses the frog, it turns into a prince. It's like if Mac DeMarco kisses a guitar player, he turns into a legend or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. All of a sudden you can play like Jimi Hendrix or something yeah. because you got kissed by Mac DeMarco. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Maybe I get, I, you guys have probably answered this a million times, but what's the chronology of Peach Pit, the name of the band versus Peach Pit, the song, like what came first and what inspired which? We wrote the song Peach Pit. That was like our, our first kind of song that we wrote together. The first time we were like jamming in Chris's bedroom at his dad's house. And um, and we, yeah, we just thought it was a cool idea for a band name. So we were Peach Pit for a little bit when we first started out. And then actually there's a couple of Peach Pits that have existed in the past. There's like a Peach Pit from um maybe slovakia i think they're like a math rock band anyway so then we were like ah oh, shit there's already a peach pit exists maybe we should change our name and then we changed it to uh peter and the virgins for a little bit because p when we started the band peter was the only one who wasn't a, a virgin our bass player so we were peter and the virgin <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then and then we went back to peach pit we were like ah whatever we're just gonna steal it and hopefully nobody Thank God we didn't stick with Peter and the Virgins. That's just one of those things that we had no foresight for. Who is the second one to not be a virgin? Who's the second one? Um, oh, when Mikey joined, he was, uh, he was, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mikey, Mikey was fucking early. Yeah. <laughs> Mikey was fucking early. <laughs> you guys are, Chris, introduce us to, to your cat. Oh, yeah. This is Fig. She's, uh, 
and a cuddle. Holding I, it up. I knew wearing a black shirt was gonna bite me because she was gonna do this and then get her hair all over me. Oh, she's gone. I really want to talk about um, the album that came out a few months ago. Um, one thing I just had to ask is who is Vicky and why don't you want her living next door? Uh, Vicky's just, she's my, she's a friend of mine and um, she, uh, her and I are and actually for her birthday one year, I asked her what she wanted for her birthday and she said that she wanted somebody to someone write a song about her before so I kind of started writing this like sort of jokey song about how I didn't want her to live next door to me because she would just be bugging me all the time if she lived next door um but then I ended up really liking the tune so um I gave it to her like as a birthday present and then um yeah we decided to record it and put it on our album that's a sweet story you're a good friend yeah well yeah well I don't know about that I mean there, I feel like there's a lot of like me bashing Vicky in the song, <laughs> in a way that only good friends can bash each other. You know? Exactly, yeah, like you couldn't do that if like you didn't know Vicky that well. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah. Right. Right. Um, also, as far as behind the music kind of stories, one of my favorite—I I like really sad songs, so I love shampoo bottles. Um, is that about a real relationship? And it's because it's so vivid and so relatable. <laughs> about the, the the remnants people live, leave behind in a relationship. Yeah, that one was funny. I feel like um, for me, a lot of my favorite songs that we've ever like written and recorded together are the ones that just kind of like happened super fast. Like I sat down to start writing it and then it kind of just like, I barfed it out and just like put it down onto like the page as I was writing. And I literally was just, I had this little tiny um, studio apartment that I used to live in and my bed, the way it was set up, I could sit in my bed and I would look directly into the bathroom and I'd see the bathtub there. And uh, yeah, I was literally just sitting on my bed and yeah, my girlfriend who we had broken up a little while before she had left a bunch of her yeah shampoo bottles just sitting in the shower and they were empty. And I just, for some reason, like couldn't throw them away for a while. And so I just started singing about oh bottles of the tub and then it just turned into that song really quickly kind of wrote it super fast but um you're romantic yeah i guess so right like i, I don't know just like when i'm when or i love to torture song, so yeah you know what i'm curious I, about there's a lot of stories about girlfriends of um musicians you know like the new pamela anderson documentary but yeah. i want to know what is it like being the boyfriend of a girlfriend of a rock star. Wait, I gotta, I gotta. So was it, was it hard to like, just, you know, navigate relationships with this kind of career path that you've chosen? Maybe Chris, you can talk about that just because like, I feel like as far as like band members go, you've been in, I mean, you and Lindsay have been together since we started the band. Mm -hmm. Like I haven't so much been in that same position as you. Yeah, well, one thing that my wife like has always said throughout our relationship is that she is like, you're so lucky to have me because not every girl could handle this. Like, <laughs> she talks to her friends and they're like, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm too jealous to deal with the stuff you deal with. So I think there's definitely some navigating that comes with the territory. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it can be strange for your partner to like, I don't know, go up on a stage and like play in front of a bunch of people or like talk to 
a bunch of people after the show and you have like a very weird relationship to that audience versus a very real mm -hmm. relationship that you and your partner have. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's something that uh, you can't really help your, you can help your partner by just being a good person and uh, not crossing lines, but it's something that even if you're in that position, they're going to have to process themselves and kind of work out. Mm -hmm. But I think we're, uh, we're all lucky. We've got partners who uh, understand, you know, the necessity or that we love what we do and this is just a part of it and they were supportive all the way. But also, I sorry, I tried to cut you off like three times there just to say that she's super lucky too because you're like a super faithful boyfriend and yeah. whenever you talk to fans, obviously you're just like super nice and chill. You're not a fucking creeper. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, you gotta oh. not cross lines for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it is something to navigate. navigate absolutely. Who's the biggest slut in the band? Don't. <laughs> Definitely the Neil. <laughs> it's always the lead singer it's always the lead singer you know. but i've also just been like the everyone else in the band has been in like a serious long-term relationship ever since we started the band so that was like it's not really hard to be the biggest slut in Peach Pit. yeah you're still a small slut compared <laughs> still a small slut but you know by comparison yeah um guys i, I i'm i'm a music i direct music videos i do visualizers album art that kind of thing and one thing I, one video I want to ask about is the video for Lookout, um, because it's so unique and it's so interesting. And for those of you, I'll throw some some still frames from it up on the screen. But the basic concept is that Neil, you're in the back of a truck and you're playing, and then the band members are kind of around you in and around the truck, um, and it's all one single take. So tell me about whose idea that was and how you guys made it, if it was difficult or how many took to take, how many takes it took that kind of thing. Well, that was, that was the, the concept for the video was our guy, our buddy Lester, who directs all of our stuff. He's, you know, on our past few records, he's just always the kind of art director. So he kind of comes up with that stuff. Um, and I think for this one, I didn't really even know what his vision was for it until we started making the video. And I, Chris, you can talk about it a bit because you kind of had a more involved part in the music. Yeah, I don't think Lester, our music video director, even really knew what it was going to be like when we like started making it. We were kind of like throwing together ideas really last minute. But our director of photography on that video had uh, done some shoots for like an athletic wear company called Lululemon. And uh, he had come out to this stretch of road before at sunset to like film a running commercial. So he was like, I know the best spot. Uh, you know, obviously using it for much different reasons, but uh, he uh, showed us this stretch of road and we kind of put it together. I was sitting in the back of the truck for the first half of the video. And then I hopped out at one point and uh, the one take we ended up using was one where I was screaming at uh, Peter, our bass player who was driving. I was like, drive faster, drive faster. <laughs> Once the camera came around on me, I was running and I was thinking like, oh, he's going too fast. I'm not going to be able to catch him. And uh, that like desperation kind of uh, ended up giving a bit of a difference to that take than the other ones. But yeah, I we agree. Like we we uh, really loved that video. The second we got back to the place we were staying, we like pulled it up on the camera and just watched it without sound, and we're all like so excited. And there's something magical about one takes when you're just you know you can't just chop it up to make it different. You have to stick with the one. How many takes did it take? I think it took fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, 13 takes. So it was like oh, Chris exhausted wow. by the end of it, whereas I was just chilling in the back of the truck. Yeah, yeah. Chris had yeah. to like run all, yeah. It was chill though. Like for, for most of the video, I was in that the back of the truck too. And 
just sitting, you know, driving down a dusty road in the back of a pickup at sunset is like a very, I don't know. Why? I, I don't remember that moment for a long time, just making it because it was such a like easy music video to make and uh, one of our favorites as well. Yeah. Love it. Something love that people love about your guys' work is the storytelling aspect. Um, one of my favorite songs is Tommy's Party. And um, can you guys just in your in your words, because people can interpret things, you know, differently. And um, what is that song about? And like, where was your head at during the process of writing that song? Yeah, that was another one kind of like shampoo balls. I think like all our best songs are ones that just got written really fast. And um, yeah, that song's just about um, um, my friend Thomas. He was having a, a birthday party. He was at a bar. I think it was like maybe 21st birthday, 20th birthday or something like that. And um, yeah, I went to his birthday party with uh, this girl that uh, eventually became my girlfriend, but we were on our first date and we ended up just getting very, very hammered at this um, this bar, definitely drank too much. And then, um, yeah, the, went back to my apartment and that was the night that uh, <laughs> I lost my virginity. That <gasps> no way, oh my God. We That's why we had to change story. the band name. Yeah, yeah so, no longer. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so then uh, we, I kind of started writing this song. The whole song is from uh, Tommy's point of view. And we've been best friends since we were little kids. And um, yeah, the song, it's, it's all words that he would never say to me in real life. So I guess it's supposed to be like him talking to me in what I've always wanted him to say and feel about me. <laughs> wow. Love it. Love it. Love it. Like, love it. Love it. I know. I love, I love, I love like origin stories that have sort of a, you know, a, a literary background. There's, there's something very literary about, you know, the interpret interpreting this is very NPR. I'm getting very NPR right now. Um, <laughs> Go for it. Uh, <laughs> now I know you guys, you guys knew each other. You guys were friends in high school. Um, and I, one, I, I like to point out weird gaps in a Wikipedia page because the, like, the, the origin story on your Wikipedia page is like that you guys came together for a project, but it doesn't say what the project was. It's just kind of like this vague, bullshitty Wikipedia thing. Um, so what was the actual like thing that brought you guys together musically? So yeah, it definitely was not a project. Uh, <laughs> Chris, do you want to tell them about how we first fell in love? Yeah, sure. Uh, we, uh, yeah, had met in high school, but it wasn't until the year after I graduated that I moved into the same neighborhood as Neil and our original drummer, Tom. And uh, we just started seeing each other around the neighborhood a lot. So we started hanging out. And I would say it wasn't until like a year later, we went to a music festival. And uh, it was a, a really great music festival. Frank Ocean played. It's called Pemberton uh, in, in uh, Pemberton, B.C., but uh, yeah, we we just jammed some songs around uh, our campsite uh, at that festival. And we're like, oh yeah, we should start a band. We should do this. And you know, I think there was a couple other times we were at a party and like we were the two cool guys who snuck off into the corner with acoustic guitars and were just like messing around. Uh, and then you know, eventually those plans metabolized into uh, us having a practice and writing a one song together. And then we just kept at it, and here we are. The, okay, so Chris just gave you guys like the incredibly G-rated version of how we met each other. <laughs> but the kind of the truth of the matter is that 
Chris and I were at this music festival and he was with another group of people. I was with another group and um, we were super hammered. We were really, really, <laughs> um, we're back at the campsite and I'd written a few songs and I was like, can I play you these songs? We kind of had jammed maybe a couple times um, before that. And I played him Peach Pit. I played him a song called Private Presley and a song called Hot Knife for that all ended up being uh, songs of ours. And um, anyway, so we were hammered, hammered drunk. And then maybe like two days later when we got back home from the festival, we had just been like talking at the festival, like we should start a band, man. It'd be so sick if we started a band. And so I just felt so embarrassed about how like hammered and like excited I was about starting a band with this guy I didn't know that well that I was like, we have to meet up and like practice. So it just wasn't one of those like drunken talks that we had. How has it been to like watch each other grow up and like who kind of changed the most surprisingly like in the band? Hmm. It's a, yeah, it's a deep question. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that no matter what, when the friends you make when you're 20, 21, that time of life, like that's a special time of life where mm -hmm. you're probably with your friends more than any other time. And uh, I think a lot of people end up uh, not being as close with the people that they met when they're 20, 21 later on in life. Like naturally those friendships just kind of fade, whether it's like time or space or just like what you're into. Uh, but I think that we just met at that time. And one thing that, you know, I, we'd all be friends if we weren't in this band together, but the band really holds us together in a way. And I think we've just changed in the ways that most people going through their 20s change, you know, like you will uh, get girlfriends and spend more time with them than like drinking around a fire in the park, like, which is what we did when we were 20. And, uh, I think, yeah, we just kind of have, have uh, grown up together, but uh yeah, our, our friendships have always stayed really strong. And I think the band has always given us a reason to really like come together and work on something. And, and you know, having a creative pursuit with anybody is going to like bond you to them. So I think we've definitely just benefited from that. And uh, yeah, we spend less time these days together when we're not playing, doing band stuff, but we're doing so much band stuff that we're probably spending the same amount of time we did when we were like 2021, 20, you know? Well, I would say that like, for me, like seeing everybody's like kind of change over time, it's just like when you when you start a band so young together and just not knowing what the hell you're doing, you kind of see someone go from being just like a kid who like writes a guitar solo that's kind of cool. And then, you know, years down the line, you're like, holy shit, this guy's like legit. Like he's a good musician. He knows how to write music uh, and knows how to perform. Um, and just like the confidence that you see somebody develop over uh, such an extended period of time is super cool. And like, that's definitely for me, like seeing Chris and Mikey and, and Peter, that's like the, the biggest thing for me is like, oh, these guys like know what they're doing now. We used to be just like idiots. And now like <laughs> somehow we figured it out along the way. Yeah, very true. We're, we'll let you go here in a second, guys, but let's get a, a new music update what, what's going on in the recording process writing process of peach pit right now well we're writing a ton at the moment we're actually going back into the studio um the first week of april for like two months here in vancouver and we're going to record another album and we've probably got like i don't know maybe like eight songs in the works right now that might be generous but yeah we're hoping, we're hoping to get to like 16 songs and try to like record kind of as many songs as we can and then trim it down into a record but um it's yeah it's kind of like um our favorite time of the whole album there, 
the early the early days of the yeah. of the yeah. Out of all you guys, who is the most brutal in the mixing process? Chris, for sure. Oh yeah, you think so? I used, I used to be a lot notes. worse. I used to like want to like you know change the tones of like the sixth note of a riff when it like was yeah. only coming oh. up for a millisecond. Yeah, I, but I think uh, the more time we've spent playing together, the more time we've like let go a little bit and it helps when we all have kind of a unified vision going into the record. So mm. I think we didn't really know what we were doing at first. So we'd have a lot of mixed notes. And then on the last record, especially like we knew the kind of record we wanted to make, it was going to be like softer, very natural sounding. So it didn't take a lot uh, of notes to like tweak those sounds to get to the places we wanted them. We were, we just wanted something that sounded like us live. Do you, do you guys ever, uh, do you guys ever YouTube? Do you guys ever just jam like guitar jam just to come up with riffs? Come up because I feel like a lot of your songs, you know, have these kind of like moving guitar, like guitar call and answer kind of stuff. So, what do you guys do to to jam basically? What do we do to jam? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say we're much of a jam band. I feel like you I know we. I would think we'd be more of a jam band if I knew how to play guitar better, but I'm a pretty crappy guitar player, honestly. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to apply that you're a jam band, but I mean, when you guys are coming up with guitar no, no, parts, I, you guys I, just kind of so. sit around and... But even in that context, yeah, we're not I, very jammy. It's very like, no. here's uh, the song, like, here's another part we could add to it. Here's a riff we could put onto that. And yeah, some stuff has come out in the jam space before, but it's not generally how we work. And I think if... Uh, I, I think it's like a cool thing to try, but I I think it's not our most comfortable. Be more jam if it was uh, Chris, Pete, and Mikey in the band. I mean, I don't know. I think you you keep us uh, from turning into like fish or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Get some. There's like 20 minute long versions of songs. That, I think it know. could could get there pretty quickly without Neil. So I it's for the best. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. We'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, you guys are playing the uh, M3F Festival in Phoenix, March 3rd and 4th with headliners Maggie Rogers and Jamie XX. Congratulations congratulations on all the success, and uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you so much. All right, we'll see you later. Bye, guys. All right, cool. All right. That was Peach Pit, everybody. Mm -hmm. We'll go ahead and record the outro now since we're sitting here, Demi. Yes. Um, you, what do you got going on? What do you, what do, you, do you have anything... Any new releases, any new music you want the people to know about? I do. Oh, my God. I'm trying to figure out kind of like a rollout because I have so much like new music I've made. Um, but, yeah, keep you posted. Jordan, what you got going on? Well, we are working on a lot of Pop Dust features. Uh, we're recording this uh, a week before it's airing. So you're probably listening to this around February 15th or so. We're recording February 8th. Um, and I'm working on a lot of pop dust features. We just, I just, uh, published a, a backstage photo shoot and interview with the band vacations. Um, we have Stacy Ryan, Demi's interview with Stacy Ryan's coming up next week. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of pop dust stuff. And I also have a music video that I directed for Ella Isaacson, which premieres, uh, on, uh, what I guess it'd be the 17th for new music Friday. So look for that. That's what I got going on. Let's and then of course, know. any, uh demi ramos show stuff you know oh my god so february is crazy um it's like the fashion month in new york city so i'm shooting like five times this week and yeah one thing i i don't know demi is do you ever get to keep any souvenirs from your fashion shoots that you do um 
I did the last shoot I did. They they let me walk out in the in the last look, but normally um, normally I wouldn't even want to because sometimes fashion can be really really weird. Right. Um, or like for instance, yesterday I shot two hundred outfits back to back. So at the uh, you know at that point I just wanted to wait. Hold on, you said two two hundred outfits. Two hundred outfits yesterday, and I, I yeah I literally like was hiding at certain points. I was calling Victoria. I was like, I want to go home. Like you were changing, you changed outfits two hundred times in yes. one day. Not makeup like anywhere, but but full on outfits, accessories, everything. So you so you would get dressed. They take a few <laughs> photos. You'd go change and come back and do yeah. So you did that for like hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Like a whole helpful. catalog, basically, it sounds like. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's cool. So by that, by that number, you just like abort the mission. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. 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 Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're uh, phone's blowing up now. So maybe we should. All right. Cool. Well, that's it. That's it, Demi. That's it. Uh, get a little. I got a little. Uh, we got a little insight into Demi's world. No good. That's nice. That's nice. Shut up, Peach Bay, though. They're so cool. I'm like, you know. Yeah. We love indie boys, right, Jordan? I know you love indie boys. <laughs> I know you love indie boys. You got a little shaggy hair and some tattoos. That's like Demi's. Oh, Demi's, my uh, God. Yeah. Or if you have an accent from the UK or they're from, you know, hell, you'd probably take an Australian accent, you know? We've had um, Canadian accents. That's Canadian, we just <laughs> Canadian accents. I think it's funny because Neil has a, a a pretty strong Canadian accent. Yeah, I did hear that. Wasn't, wasn't as heavy. Yeah, yeah. it could have been from like Illinois, and you would have, wouldn't have known any difference. Mm -hmm. All right, that's it. Let's shut this down. I'm Jordan. This is Demi. You've been listening and watching to It's Real Jordan Demi. As always, go to popdust.com for the latest in pop culture and music news and to stream past episodes of our show. Follow me on Instagram at Jordan Edwards Studio and follow Demi on Instagram at Demi underscore Ramos. Until next time. We'll see you later.